Good morning. What a, what a great song, huh? On the mountains high, when we're on the highest of mountains. Good morning. How are you? Good. No matter how high we are on the mountain, or even how low we get, the king of love our shepherd is. Wow, what a great song. If you would, please open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll continue on in there. Today is my wife's birthday, so she... uh, she did the, the, the worship guide, so I'm pretty sure she did not put her birthday in there. So happy birthday to my wife and, and everything. So it's good good that everybody is here today. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll go ahead and dig in. Father, thank you for our time that we can gather here, Lord, with, without the threat of persecution that we can openly sing praises to you, Father, that we can come and worship you in song, worship you in giving, and now worship you in the preaching of your word. Father, I thank you for all that are here, Lord, and I pray for those who aren't, Lord, for those who are sick. Lord, we lift them up to you and ask for your healing. For those who are tired, we ask that you would give them strength, Father, throughout the day. For those that are hurting today, Lord, we ask that you would come with the gospel of grace and heal their wounds, Lord. We pray that our eyes would be fixed upon you and upon your glory, Father. We pray that we would see Christ as more dear and more precious than we ever have. And Father, we ask that he would truly be the treasure of our hearts, the ruler of our hearts, the lover of our souls. Father, may we find all of our joy in him, for he is the one who loves us. So now, Father, I ask that your spirit would come and accompany the preaching of your word. I ask that your spirit would come and open our hearts and open our eyes and open our minds to what your word has to say, Father, that we would apply it, that we would be different in this world, and that we would serve you with with a vigor, Lord, in whatever area of life we are in. So we ask these things in Christ's name, that he would be glorified. Amen. So as we've been talking through chapter 4, starting in chapter 4, we have this, we have this therefore, right? Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So Paul is giving us in these, these three chapters of how we are to walk how we are to walk. But I just want to reiterate one thing here, or a couple of things, is the therefore, right? So if we, 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 we want to go back and look at chapter one, because I don't want us to get to a point where we are being obedient to God and what he has called us to out of a sense of legalism, out of a check in the box off. But we are doing these things as therefore is because of all the things that God has done that Paul talked about in the first three chapters. The blessings that we have in Christ, 
our chosen before the foundations of the world, our adoption, our forgiveness of all of our sins in Christ's blood, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, how he has made us, how we were dead and he has made us alive, that by grace we are saved, that we are his workmanship in Christ that he created, that Christ came and he broke down the dividing walls and made us one body. Those are all these great things that God has done to us, in us, and for us. And so Paul then says, therefore, because of all these things Christ has done, you walk in this manner. So we are to not walk in this manner to be accepted by God or to attain those things that God has said. No, we walk in this manner because we've already attained those things and that's who we are in Christ. And now this is the flow of how our walk is. And so we've seen that in chapters 4 and in chapters 5. And in chapter 6, we've been looking at what it is to be filled with the Spirit, what it is to walk in a Christ-like manner, right? It's to be serving to one another. It's wives submitting to the husbands. It's husbands loving their wives. It's children obeying their parents, and it's parents not uh, causing their their children to be angered. And so today we get into a Christ-like work. What is our work to be like? Now, it doesn't matter if you're retired or if you're your own boss. It doesn't matter, or you have an employer. This all applies to where we are. It all applies to that. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 6. Either open your Bibles or pull it up on your phones or however you have it. We're going to look at verses 5 through 9 today. So look at and let's read the word of God. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters do the same to them. And stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So we have a Christ-like work. Our first point we want to look at is a Christ-like, spirit-filled bondservant. This is what he talks about. is a, a bondservant. Now, this bondservant is a slave or a servant. It's not a hired hand. There's an estimated at this time in the history when the letter of Ephesians was being written, there was an estimated 60 million slaves in the Roman territories. So it's roughly about a third of the people were slaves. This is what John Calvin writes. The servants whom he immediately addresses were not hired servants like those of the present day, but slaves such as were in ancient times whose slavery was perpetual unless through the favor of their masters they obtained freedom, whom their masters bought with money, that they might impose upon them the most degrading employments and might, with the full protection of the law, exercise over them the power of life and death. To such, he says, obey your masters, lest they should vainly imagine that carnal freedom has been procured for them by the gospel." 
So masters were not very nice. They were bought. These were people that were bought to, to do the most degrading, law, the degrading chores. William Barclay gives us a little history on the treatment of slaves. This is what William Barclay writes. The Roman statesman Cato said, Old slaves should be thrown on a dump, and when a slave is ill, do not feed him anything. It is not worth your money. Take sick slaves, sick slaves, and throw them away because they are nothing but inefficient tools. This was the view. Augustus crucified a slave who accidentally killed his pet quail, and a man named Polio threw a slave into a pond of deadly lamprey eels for breaking a crystal goblet. Juvenal, Juvenal wrote a slave owner's whose greatest pleasure was listening to the sweet song of his slaves being flogged. This was the treatment of slaves in those times. And so to this treatment and to these people, Paul says, as a Christian slave, be obedient to your master. Now, Paul himself considered himself a bondservant, not a hired hand of Christ, but a bondservant to Christ as a slave. In Romans 1.1, Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart by the gospel of God. A servant, that's the same word we get. This word is doulos, and it's a servant. It's a bond servant. Philippians 1.1, Paul says the same thing. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And in Titus 1.1, the same thing. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So we see where Paul put himself in this category, that I am a slave to Christ. Christ is my owner. Christ has bought me with his blood, and I am a slave to Christ. And so I will be obedient to him. And this again needs to be our same mindset. We are bought at a price. We are to glorify God in our body. Christ has bought us on his cross and we are slaves to him. We are bond slaves to him. So whatever we do should glorify him. Now, in the United States anymore, we don't have this, right? We don't have slaves and masters. So how do we apply this? Well, what we look at now is we have employers and we have employees. It's the same thing. This is what we're going to look at. So now we're looking at a Christ-like, spirit-filled employee. This is what a Christ-like employee is to look like. He is to obey his earthly master with fear and trembling. This is what he is to do. This is a, a, a continual act. That's what it tells us. It's obedience continuous to their master or to their employer, right? This is what it says. This is a submitting to your boss, being obedient to your earthly authority because of the heavenly authority that you are under. This does not mean that as believers we are to be obedient to everything. If our employer asks us to do something that's against God's will or causes us to sin, we are not to do that. So we are to be obedient with the right attitude. We're to be obedient with the right attitude. Look at Ephesians 6, 5. This is what the apostle writes. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. It's with the right attitude, with fear and trembling. 
Now, Paul uses this fear and trembling not only here in this letter, but he uses it in other letters. In 1 Corinthians 2, 3, he says, and with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. 2 Corinthians seven fifteen, and his affections for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all and how you receive him with fear and trembling. So what is meant by this fear and trembling? What is meant by this? This is a, it's, it's not a cowering in fear to your employer. You don't cower down to them. It's not that kind of fear. But it's, a, it's an attitude. It's one that has respect for the employer, which springs from an honest purpose. It's a reverential fear of God is what we're looking at. It's honor and respect for your boss. We're to be obedient with the right attitude, honor and respect for our employer. If we cannot give our employer honest or honor and respect out of them being our employer, then we must give our employer honor and respect out of who we serve because it glorifies God. Even if they are not worthy of that honor and respect, we are to still give them that respect because of who we are in Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 6, 1 through 3 puts it this way. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Angela, I'm only going to go to verse 2, okay? So not 3. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the grounds that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. The apostle Peter writes this in 1 Peter 2.18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. We are to be obedient to our masters with the right attitude, with fear and trembling, out of respect for who they are and that God put them in there. But we have a major difference nowadays, right? We have a major difference nowadays. Because if I don't like my boss and I don't like the people I work with, what do I do? We quit, right? We quit and we go get another job. Well, bond servants didn't have that luxury. They were bought. They were owned. They had to do these things, whether it was for one uh, master that was good or for a master that wasn't good. We have different options. We can go and we can quit and we can go find another job. You know, but they didn't have that luxury And so Paul urges them to always have the right attitude because of who they were in Christ. Because of who they were in Christ. Also, they were to be obedient with the right motive. They were to have the right motive. Look again in verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, right attitude, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. There's the motive. With a sincere heart. This is what they were to... Uh, have the right obedience with. This is a motive for doing our work. We do it with genuineness. We're to be genuine in what in, in our work. Titus 2, 9 and 10. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. 
They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrines of God our Savior. This is why we are obedient with the right motive, because what it does is it adorns the doctrine of God our Savior. It puts God on absolute display when we have the right motives. Colossians 3.17 puts it this way, And whatever you do in work or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love this verse. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is the right motive. So what does that mean? Whatever you do. If you're retired, whatever you do in your retired life, you do to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a, 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 a self-employed, whatever we do, we do to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our motive. If we clean the house, we clean it to God's glory. If we do the dishes, we do it to God's glory, right? Our work should glorify God ultimately, no matter what it is. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He brings it down to the very simplest things of life, right? Whether you eat or drink, it doesn't matter. You do all things to the glory of God. He says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. This needs to be our motive. Our motive is, is that we work for God. Therefore, a believer is one who works well without grumbling, being critical of others, or being a distraction. Does that describe you in your work? Are you one who is without grumbling? That's the tough one right there. We always grumble. Oh, man. Right? Sometimes I do that when um, I get these two guys that come in and get their hair cut, and they come in together all the time. I won't say who they are, Carlos, but uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm just, just joking. But we grumble, right? We can, we, we can easily grumble in our work. We can grumble at it instead of looking at it. That Oh, man, this gives me an avenue to glorify God. And to put Jesus on display, this is what it does. So not only are we to be obedient with the right motives, but we are to be obedient with persistence. We're to be obedient with persistence. Look at verses 6 and 7 of Ephesians. Not by way of eye service or people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will, as to the Lord and not to men. So we're to do this not by way of eye service. So what does he mean by not by ways of eye service? We've heard this, right? When the cat's away, what's that? The mice will play, right? When the boss is gone, the employees play, right? There's no one there to see you. There's no one there to get you in trouble with. The boss is gone, right? And so this is what Paul is saying, is it doesn't matter if your boss is there or if your boss is gone, if your master's there or if your master's gone. You work persistently. You work with diligence. This is how we are to work. 
Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not so now, not, not or have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Right? So he says this, but much more in my absence. So they weren't only holy, they weren't only working out their salvation with fear and trembling when the apostle was there, but he says much more in my absence you are to continue to do this. Not by eye service. Don't give me eye service. Don't let me see you being holy. No, even when I'm gone, you be holy. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what he says in Colossians 3.22. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service. As people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And in Ecclesiastes 9.10, Solomon writes it this way. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. That is what we are to do. Whatever we find our hands to do, do it with your might because we serve the Lord. Do it persistently. Do it diligently because God's eyes are on you. doesn't matter if your boss's eyes are on you or not. You do it because God is watching you. You do it because we are servants of Christ. We are bond slaves to Jesus Christ and we glorify him when we work persistently and diligently. The Christian worker then should work hard doesn't need to be checked off, doesn't need to be checked up upon, is trustworthy. They do their work to the best of their ability. And they still work hard even if they're passed over for a raise <coughs> or a promotion. This is the Christian worker. The Christian work does not work to be a people pleaser. We're not to work to be people pleasers. That means... He or she does not promote themselves. We're not to work in a way that we're trying to promote ourselves. Does not, does not do a good job to be noticed, but we do a good job because we are Christ. And he or she does not work only for their own welfare, but we work for the welfare of others, for the good of other people. We are not to be... Uh, people pleasers the christian then works in a persistent diligent way because he is and ultimately a bond servant of christ doing the will of god from the heart and that's what first thessalonians 2 4 tells us but just as we have been approved by god to be entrusted with the gospel so we speak not to please men but to please god who tests our hearts that is what we do god is the one who we are to please in all that we say, in all that we do. So look again at verses six, uh, 6 and 7. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So we are to do this for the Lord's sake and for his will. When we are obedient to our employers in these ways, we, we are fulfilling the will of God. This is what we are doing. We're working in God's will. Matthew 7, 21 says it this way. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This is how we know the real children 
from the false children are the ones who do the will of God. Romans 12.11 says it this way. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. We're to serve the Lord. And then the writer of the Hebrews puts it this way. Or no, the same in Romans 14.8. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's, right? And now the writer to the Hebrews puts it this way in, verse, in chapter 13. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Do our, we are to work for the Lord's sake and for his will. Ultimately, God is our boss. He's ultimately our boss. He is ultimately the one we want to please. But there is encouragement in here. When we work this way, there's encouragement. Paul gives us encouragement. And we always like encouragement, don't we? We like to have that encouragement. Well, why am I doing what I'm doing? Well, Paul tells us why we should do what we are doing. He gives encouragement. In verse 8, he says this, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. There's our encouragement. That knowing whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. So this is our encouragement to do well in our jobs. It's because the Lord rewards. You and I may have bosses who overlook us. We may have bosses who do not give us a promotion. We may have bosses that don't give us a raise. We may have bosses that are harsh with us. We may have bosses that take our own ideas and use them for their own and get their own glory out of your idea. But our blessing does not come from our bosses. Our blessing comes from our king. And whether he chooses to bless us in this life or in the life to come, we will receive a blessing. Because this is his promise to you, knowing that whatever good you do, you will receive back from the Lord. We are to do good. We are to be good workers. Brothers and sisters, we are to be good workers. As believers, we have to remember that there's no good thing that is done for God and for his glory that passes his eyes. You and I will receive a blessing either in this life or in the life to come. So that is the worker. That is the employee. That is his being obedient, serving God with the will. Now, what about the employer? God talks about the employer too. What the employer is to be. What the Christian employer is to be right? What the Christian employer is going to be. Now, I kind of was looking at this. I'm like, okay, how do I apply this, right? How do I apply this in my life? Because I don't have a boss. Well, I have a boss, but I don't have a boss, right? I am my own boss. And so I looked at this as my clients. This is how I am to be with my clients, right? This is how I'm to be with my clients. But this, if you are a boss or you have people under you, this is how you are to be 
as a child of God. This is how you are to be. You are to be a Christ-like, spirit-filled employer. Look at Ephesians 6, 9. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So he starts off with this. Masters, do the same to them. Right? So what he's talking about is that masters or employers are to have the same attitude. <coughs> and please forgive me for coughing. But they are to have the same attitude and respect and treatment that they would, that they would uh, expect their employees to have for them. Essentially, I'm going to treat my clients well. I'm going to treat my employees well. I'm going to have a good attitude with them. I'm going to respect them. I'm going to honor them because I wish for them to have that same back at me. I'm going to be a diligent employer. I'm going to be a persistent employer. I'm going to be that way because I want them to be that way for me. Do the same thing. Luke 6.31. And as you wish the others would do to you, do so to them. This is the golden rule, essentially, is what we have, right? And, and, and I like how the, the writers write this. And as you wish, I like that wish because it doesn't mean it's going to happen. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. I want someone to treat me nice. I want someone to work hard for me. So I'm going to do the same thing. Now, there's no guarantee that's how they are going to be. But I'm going to treat them the same way. I'm going to treat them with respect, and I'm going to treat them with honor. James 2.8 says this, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. The same thing, James 2.13, For judgment is without mercy, listen to that, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So this is a Christ-like, spirit-filled employer. They are to do the same to them. Secondly, they are to stop threatening. They are to stop threatening. Now, this stop threatening means threats, harshness of language, ill treatment, Threats, I'm going to fire you if you don't do this. In that times, it might be what uh, the last guy, you know, that we read about, that juvenile, where he loved the sweet song of hearing his, uh, his slaves flogged. That's the threat. Either you do this or you get flogged. Right? There was always threats. You killed my quail, now I'm going to crucify you. This is what they were under. And Paul was saying to, to, to Christian masters, you don't do this. There's no threats. There's no harshness of language. Watch how you speak to them. Don't speak to them in a manner that is ungodly. Remember what's, on, what's at stake, right? Remember what's at stake, brothers and sisters. It's the sound doctrine of God. That's what's at stake. Jesus is what's at stake. How we treat our employers or how we treat our employees, or how we treat our clients. It's not ill treatment. 
They do not use his or her authority as a weight. We don't throw our weight around. We don't throw that authority around. Well, I'm the president of the company. That doesn't matter. If you're the president of the company, I'm the owner of my company. It doesn't matter that I'm the owner of my company. I am not to threaten anybody. But I'm to treat them well. I'm to honor them. I'm to respect them. Therefore, as employers, we should not be abusive. We should not be inconsiderate. But we should be just and we should be fair. And we should understand that they are a servant of Christ, just like I am a servant of Christ. Colossians 4.1 says it this way, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Why? Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. That's why we're to be just. We're to be fair. Because our master is in heaven. And finally, there's no partiality with God. Right? Stop your threatening. Because there's no partiality with God. That means God doesn't look with partiality. It's real simple. It doesn't matter if you're the president of a company or you're the, in the mailroom. God views it the same way. There's no partiality with God. And that's a beautiful thing because we can never ever say that God is unfair. God is always fair. There's no partiality with God. He doesn't choose sides. The only side he chooses is his because it's the right side. But there's no partiality. It doesn't matter how much you make or how, lo- or how least you make. It doesn't matter how good looking you are or how bad looking you are. It doesn't matter what uh, ethnicity you are. God has no partiality. Acts 10.34, Peter says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Romans 2.11, For God shows no partiality. And in Colossians 3.25, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. If you're an employer, or you have people under you, What Paul tells you is to treat them the same because there's no partiality with God. There's no partiality with God. So to close this, so as we close this section on being spirit-filled, being Christ-like in our actions, we see that you and I as believers are to have a mutual submission to each other. The Christ-like wife will submit to her husband as to the Lord. The Christ-like husband will love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The spirit-filled Christ-like child will be obedient to their parent, and the spirit-filled parent will not provoke their children to anger. But they will bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And finally, the Christ-like spirit-filled employee works in a way that honors God and striving to do His will, and the Christ-like spirit-filled boss does the same. But we don't do these things to be accepted by God. We do these things because we are accepted by God. The gospel must always go before us. It can't go behind us. The gospel is what drives us forward to be obedient to God. 
It's the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that always goes before us. It's his triumphal entry into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God, is why we are obedient to him, because we are in him. That is why we are to do what he has commanded us to do out of love for who he is and what he has done for us. It's not to accept that love or, or to uh, 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 get that love from him. He's already loved us. So this is why we do these things, because the gospel goes for us. So, brothers and sisters, walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called because of what your Savior has done for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time. And thank you for your word. May you continually be glorified in us. May we strive to glorify you in all that we say and do. And in our words,